We made this. Hello and welcome to another edition of Pick a Disc. I'm your host Matt Latham and this is the podcast where someone picks a disc to talk about for whatever reason they want to. Today, the guest I'm welcoming onto the podcast is Lance from the Yesterday's Concerts podcast. And he's going to be talking about King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard and their album Infest the Rat's Nest. So yeah, as naturally we do, we talk about the album, we talk about the songs, talk about the band, blah, 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 blah. And quite a lot of interesting conversation about the band themselves because of just what exactly they do um, in terms of when they release albums. And they release albums, quite a lot of them. Yeah, quite a lot. I'm pretty sure on, uh, I think this is coming out in October and this month they'll be releasing five albums, I think just in this month alone, October 2022. So if you like what you hear and want to hear more, feel free to subscribe on your favourite podcast apps of choice. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, just click on the search bar and type in Pick a Disc. It's going to be me. So yeah, um, don't forget also, there's the Discord link in the show notes. So yeah, that is the introduction done. So there's nothing left to do, but let's talk to Lance. Okay, so... I mean, and this is another, this is another, and I apologise for everyone listening to this because it's an audio medium, but this is another case of what's in the background of my guest, in the background of my guest, and um, I've got a couple questions, but I don't know whether one of them might quickly spo- might spoil who we're talking about in a second, but I know you've got a Who poster in the background. That is a Who poster from their most recent US tour. Yeah. Uh, there's a great, or a Dead yeah. & Company poster in the middle, and then there is a Fish yeah. poster from uh, their Nashville show in 2021. It's in the art of our guests or of our artists today, actually, but it is not of our artists. It's just fish. Ah, okay. Yeah. Cause I, couldn't, I definitely could tell the who, but I couldn't yep. see. Oh, hang on. Yeah. I can see the name fish yep. now. Yeah. But I couldn't see the middle one. But um, yeah, that's uh, going to make perfect podcasting audio medium. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. But uh, yeah, this is. Um, yeah. So uh, Lance from the Yesterday's Concert podcast um, is my guest for this episode of the podcast. And um, I'm going to let you. Because I'm going to let you introduce the album in a bit minutes because I'm going to apologize now because every time I've tried to practice saying the names, my uh, tendency to get things mixed up keeps getting in. So I've been trying to get these <laughs> in the right order. Why not set the precedent of how they're supposed to be pronounced? How the are they are the name in the correct order? Lance, why don't you tell the listeners the disc that you picked for today? I have picked the album, the 2019 album, Infest the Rat's Nest by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. So for our purposes, let's just call him King Gizzard or even King Giz. Let's keep it as short as possible. King Giz, King Giz, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard for ages. Because I, I, when I was doing kind of mic test before we started recording, before the call started, I was there going King Wizard, <laughs> and it's a tongue twister. It is. Name. Yeah, um, yeah. So the uh, infest the rat's nest, which is the um, the. Oh, okay, I had the I had the number of the album. It's their fifteenth, um, I believe. In a tab, fifteenth. I knew it was quite high, yep. um, and and we're going to get into kind of that high number at some point. In the, <laughs> we will. It's unavoidable in the um, yeah, in the uh, dis- discussion of this. But uh, yeah, released in sixteenth oh, of August, two thousand nineteen, uh, and it's now before we yeah before we start talking about the album itself in general let's just get into your history with the band okay. um so when did you first hear of 
King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Uh, you got it, man. You nailed it. Crushed it. Way to go. Yeah. Off to a good start. Yeah. Uh, probably 2015 or 2016 was the first time I heard about them. I think they formed in 2012. Um, and I believe it was Trey Anastasio, the fish guitarist, was referencing how much he enjoyed them and how much he liked them. And that I may be misquoting that one. I may be thinking of somebody else. But somebody recommended them as a big-name artist. Uh, and so I just got on Spotify, saw they, I mean, by that point they had like 10 albums. Uh, so I, I just saw, Hey, this artwork's cool. I'll listen to this one. And it was their, uh, 12 bar bruise album, which is not a great introductory album for a King Gizzard fan. I'll just throw that out there now. Uh, it's pretty lo-fi. The band's still trying to find their sound. I didn't love it. Um, so eventually in 2019, uh, I came back to the band because this album and Fest Threats Nest was gaining some traction. Uh, and I heard a lot of buzz about it. And I said, I want to come back and check it out. Listen to it. <laughs> Didn't love it uh, at the time. And then kind of ended up diving through the band. And over the pandemic is really when I had a lot of free time and just started diving into their catalog um, and discovered just the richness of their their catalog and the difference in albums and what they can really bring to the table. Um, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's kind of my background with the band and how I, just kind of came to love them over time it's been a long it's been a long journey so it was a band member from fish that kind of just yeah referenced them randomly yeah i think it was yeah, it was an interview think, oh, with, okay. yeah it was an interview with trey i believe it was trey anastasia that was talking about how much he loved them and found inspiration what they were doing and then it was inspiring how he was playing guitar that summer tour um and you know as a fish fan i was like well if trey said it it's got to be great i got to go check it out and so <laughs> Trey was wrong that time in my book, uh, but I eventually came around and realized that Trey was very right. The debut album, that's 12 Bar Bruises, that's the one you first started with. That was, uh, that was my debut with them. Uh, that was not their first debut album. Uh, they've had a couple of releases before that one. Um, but yeah, it, it's especially some EPs and things like that. But yeah, that was the first one that I listened to. It was still, it's a very lo-fi album. It's a very garage rock kind of album they don't they haven't really found the king giz sound that people have come to know and love from them they're still they're still kind of in like an oc's kind of phase they're kind of trying to figure out you know are we a punk band are we a garage band are we a rock band what are we um and there, i mean there's still some stellar tracks on that album but overall it's an album you can't really appreciate until you do, really dove into the band and kind of figured out who they are and you understand the lore around so what was it about the when this album came out that made you decide to like, okay, let's do this one. Let's try them again. Was it just, yeah, I'm a, I mean, I'm a thrash metal fan. Like Megadeth is one of the bands that I really latched onto when I was a teenager. Um, and so I, I, and you know, I love Slayer. I love Metallica, you know, the big four really. Um, and so when people were talking about, Oh, this new thrash album is out, uh, I was like, well, I gotta go check it out. And so that's, you know, it was gaining a lot of buzz because it is pretty different from the rest of the band's catalog. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. to put a blanket statement on King Giz is to say that they are a, a rock psychedelic, a rock psychedelic rock band. Uh, and so for them to be putting out a thrash metal album is, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, so that's one of the reasons I went and checked it out. And I eventually, you know, like I said, I didn't love it on the first listen. Uh, I appreciated the metal, but I didn't get it. And so that's when I started going back, checked out Nottagon Infinity, um, Poly Wagaland, I can't pronounce, that's the one I can't pronounce, uh, and several of their other albums, uh, I'm In Your Mind, Fuzz. Those were the albums that really helped me connect and start to understand the band. Um, and then I was able to come back to Infest the Rat's Nest and say, oh my gosh, what a fantastic album this is. So I think uh, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, or King Giz, um, 
they're they're a name that I've known for another name. Mm-hmm. The name's familiar for like years and years and years and i think that they tour quite a lot and i think they do tour the uk quite a lot as well and they're quite prominent in the festival scene as well so their law their name always seems to pop up in certain kind of like psychedelic rock um festivals mainly as well and they occasionally get crossed over and kind and get referenced in kind of like magazines or websites that um kind of more my kind of music which is kind of more like indie indie pop type stuff and sometimes they venture out and kind of like creep into that kind of sphere but yeah so and and but i never really listened to them i just i just assumed there was kind of like a kind of like a psychedelic rock band um as you said they were so and i i, I don't think i ever listened to them properly so when i first opened up infest the rat's nest i was like this is not a band I would do. <laughs> this is not the sound that I was expecting from um, yeah, King of the Lizard Wizard. And then, um, and then I think just like a, a few hours earlier today, um, earlier today, I was looking through some of the lyrics on uh, Genius and the comment section for the Planet B, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> which I, I'm assuming this, I'm assuming it was their first single. It's just a bunch of people going, "What the hell? What? 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 What?" what? And it's just a bunch of people like. Like uh, King Giz fans going, what the hell is what what this is like this is great. So some people are just confused, and I'm like, okay, there's a lot of very there's a lot of very surprised people. And then I went to listen to the first, and then, then like about half an hour before we start recording, I was like, played the first song from um, Fishing for Fishies, mm. and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I would not assume that this was the same yes. band because Fishing for Fishies sounds something like almost kind of jaunty folk, mm-hmm. kind of like almost. No, um, almost like uh, Noah and the Whale mi- mixed in with a bit of uh, I can't think of any side but rock bands at the moment because it's, it's not my genre. But um, yeah, and it was like if it, 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 I don't know, it's, it's like it feels like oh, let's do a let's do a kind of uh, Mouserhead yes. style band yeah. <laughs> album for ones and stuff. Um, yeah, so I mean, so I, I I'm yeah the. The impact on the kind of fan base must have been quite interesting when it first came, when it first happened. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's crazy too when you look at just the amount of albums they released. Because like we were saying, this is their 15th album and they didn't release any albums in 2018, but in 2017, they released five albums. And so, I mean, five albums in one year. And then again in 2022, this year, they're going to release five albums, which is only one less than Radiohead has released since 2000, which is just bonkers. But, you know, when you look at 2019, the two albums, Fishing for Fishies and Infest the Rat's Nest, are both conservationalist, environmentalist album in concept. But however, the way they tell the stories, and I'm probably jumping ahead in the questions, the way they tell the stories is uniquely different. And it's pretty amazing considering the band shows just the breadth of ability within them that they can do Fishing for Fishies, which is this really happy, upbeat, fun, and kind of silly, childish almost. And then you have Infest the Rat's Nest, which is thrash metal, Slayer, Motorhead, all these things. But they're telling the same story at the end of the day. Yeah, I think the I think that kind of productivity from the band is interesting. For I think if, we'll probably talk a bit more about that in a second. For those who don't know, um, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard are an Australian rock band formed in 2010 in Melbourne, Victoria. 
band's current lineup consists of Steve McKenzie, Ambrose Kenny Smith, Cook Craig, Joey Walker, Lucas Harwood and Michael Kavanagh. And they are known for exploring multiple genres, uh, staging endless live shows and building a prolific discography, having released 20 studio albums, 10 live albums, 2 compilations and 3 EPs in 12 years. Just to put that, yeah, in 12 yeah, years. No so big deal. <clears throat> yeah, so that is, yeah, that is more than, as you said, there's one year where they released five um, and they're releasing five this year. Um, yeah, so they've kind of um, dipped in sorts of all sorts of different genres. Their Wikipedia page has psychedelic rock, garage rock, acid rock, progressive rock, psychedelic pop, neo-psychedelica and heavy metal. And, and I think you're and you're missing like they've done a jazz album like they it's not outright jazz, but they've done a jazz album. They've done a Western folk inspired album as well. So, I mean, like they've even on their most recent album that's been released, they even dipped into hip hop. So, I mean, like they, they really haven't not covered anything at this point almost. Yeah. Um, so uh, so I'm not led. I'm not read too much into the band themselves, but. I'm getting, I'm getting the impression that they're just someone who just seems to want to try everything and just see what sticks. I, and I think it's just so. their their love of music and their love of being in the studio and playing together. I think that's really the magic of this band is that they are such music fanatics. There's a great video, Amoeba Records um, out in California somewhere, does a, does a great video series of what's in my bag. And it's basically they bring bands into the store, let them shop around. And then they sit them down on a couch and get them to go over what they purchased. And they're just pulling out all these very obscure records. And just like that, one of them was Herbie Mann explores Middle Eastern music. And it's just like, who, who buys that other than just like a very fascinated music fan? Like you're not, your average Joe isn't going to go listen to that album. Uh, and, you know, even like the Stu McKenzie, the lead singer was like, he didn't buy any records. He bought like, a book of like satanic stories and he was just like yeah i'm sure these will work their way into a song at some point so i mean it's just you know <laughs> that's just the the breadth of what they're coming from i just think it tells to how big of the music fanatics they are in and of themselves i wonder how much of, i wonder how much of it as well is the kind of the challenge of trying to do something of a different genre and keeping things interesting like they've probably got a dartboard of like genres oh, they have throwing to. at it and going okay to, our next album is going to be <laughs> 12th century monk chanting. Okay. And I have no doubt that they would bring <laughs> a great monk album to the, to the world for us to enjoy. Like yeah. they could do it. And it wouldn't surprise me if that's album number 30 or 31. Yeah. I mean, that's again, I think it's just uh, amazing about how much, it, how much they've covered on the flip side though, it does begin to fall into a kind of trap. I find with kind of older artists that I've tried to get into in the past in that the bigger dis the discography, mm -hmm. the more intimidating it is to get into yes. bands and stuff. And I think one of the things, perhaps one of the reasons I've, I've kind of elected to kind of do this podcast in general is like um, basically outsourcing the more popular bands mm -hmm. <laughs> that I've not listened to. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's very Frank Zappa-esque so, uh, almost. Like, I mean, I, there's only a handful of Frank Zappa albums that – I can find accessible just because his discography is too huge. I don't know where to get, you know, I, they make these great flow charts on all the different places online. Like if you like this album, go listen to this one next. And, mm -hmm. you know, with a band like this, you know, they're at album, what they're going to be at like album 22 by the end of the year or something, 23. And it's like, if I'm a new fan, where do you, where do you even start with that? Like, how do you get into this band knowing 
that they have three more albums coming out in October. Mm-hmm. They've already announced that they're working on albums 24 and 25, which will likely come out next year. How do you even get into them? And they're still a modern band touring, putting out albums every year. It's such a hurdle, and yeah. it, it's, but it's awesome at the same time. Yeah, and I mean, like there are probably some of the most famous um, acts ever made mm-hmm. probably haven't got as many albums no. as they have, no. and they still have daunting. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Daunting things and stuff. Um, I wonder, wonder, wonder which artist has had the most albums ever made or released the most albums. Wonder, That's a good question. Wonder who that is. That's a really good question. You know what? Actually, yeah. No, you know what? I think. I'm going to Google I was about it. to say, we got the world's yeah. knowledge at our fingertips. Let's figure this out. Yes. Yeah, yeah. When a live, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I don't know how entertaining this is to listen to, but um, <laughs> what's the uh, I wonder if it's let's like... Do, let's do a live Google. Is it like Buckethead or somebody who's just, or like a jazz out, like artist that just pumps them out? Which artist has the most albums sold? No, not that one. I want the most albums released. Let's have a look. It's, it's probably going to be someone who's like had a, I know there's a way to like game the the Spotify algorithm now to get more listens based on like how many releases you have. So I hope it's not something like that because that would be lame. Yeah, I think it's not played. I think it's the more actual releases. Yeah. Um. Uh, well, I can't find a list. I can't find a list that um on there. But apparently, according to Wikipedia, Viper has released over one thousand albums of as of twenty nineteen. Whoa. The rapper Viper have not heard of. Uh, 1,000 albums, wow. That's uh, it's pretty hard uh, to find a good starting point there. I guess that's going back to your dartboard. Uh, yeah. As of July 17, 2020, Viper has released over 1,927 albums. Oh my gosh. <laughs> However, a vast majority of releasing same songs that have been chopped and screwed, slowed down, simply recycled or put into different names with no change of their content, that therefore only... Okay, so yeah, so apparently Wikipedia says that the um, list, yeah, the list is a lot smaller, uh, a lot, lot smaller than that. But um, that's a very interesting question. I mean, it's probably, and there's another blog which Wikipedia only seems to have the most top 10 albums, but uh, very hard to know definitely who's yeah. released the most albums of all time. But Gregory Isaacs is to be very close. He's, he was a Jamaican reggae artist who released his first album in 1975. And by the time of his death in 2010, uh, there was 120 individual albums. So this number doesn't include compilations. That feels... If you include compilations, there are 500. That feels like so, a winner. That's... Yeah, because that's... What, I'm sure with Viper, like, if he's chopping, screwing, then that's, you know, that's a comp album. That's a remix album. That doesn't count. So... Yeah. But apparently there's a site which uh, has... Uh, Frank Zappa has released 119. Oh, gosh. It doesn't surprise me. Yeah, but yeah, I think that's but that's actual physical albums. I mean, if there's any, I mean, anyone listening who probably might know um, where to look at least. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see in like a chart, chart of how many albums people have released. Um, yeah, please feel free to send me something. Yeah, because I'll be very interested. I'm quite interested into into seeing that. But so um, yeah, so they've still got quite a way to go. Yes, they uh, they got to get uh, back in the studio. They're uh, they're kind of slacking. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, they're not as productive as we thought. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, King Giz. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've only got, what, another hundred? To, another hundred. You can probably get that done. You can probably do that in the next few weeks. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, that's quite into. I mean, that's that said though, that should mean that there's at least something for everyone. Yeah. In theoretically, this. yeah. So I mean, I, I mean, so I think the Infest of Rats Nest might not. So I, I say I'm not much of a, a thrash metal fan. So I'm not one. So I'm not much to listen to kind mm-hmm. of like either Metallica or yeah. said Slayer or anything like that. It's not not really kind of my genre. But then I think from what I listen to, fishing fishing for fishies might sound a lot more kind yes. of. Uh, it's not a lot more kind of like my kind yeah. of indie pop esque kind of stuff. And you may really, you might really like Butterfly Three Thousand, which is like a synth pop kind of indie stuff. It's there's nothing really heavy mm-hmm. to it at all. Um, it came out, gosh, what did it? It came out earlier this year or late last year. I'm I'm blanking. Uh, it's a fairly recent release. Butterfly Three Thousand, uh, two thousand and twenty one. Yep. So it, it's I've got, I've got the discography here. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a really pop synthy based. Uh, you know, it's a really great album. Just to like, I listen to it a lot after listening to Infest the Rats Nest, just to kind of like refresh my palate from all the metal and the the bleakness of the album <laughs> lyrics. Uh, but yeah, it was, it's a you might like that one. That one might be a good starting place for you. Ah, okay. Mind you, that one. And um, jumping away, jumping ahead to the yes, other album. Sorry, <laughs> very <laughs> way ahead of it. But no, um, but again, it's this is perhaps an artist where you can't really talk about without discussing how they approach albums yes. because of just of how prolific they are. As you said, that they, they will release multiple ones in multiple yes. years. Um. So, but we are talking about Infest the Rat's Nest and from and the album itself in general the album itself is almost very concepty mm-hmm. so we've got very concepty and um i started just i started picking just starting to skim like the surface level of um some of the subjects and a mythology that's almost starting mm-hmm. to develop through the kind of the king, kingies um kind of discography um the closest analog i could think of um uh, Perhaps not as meta can perhaps not as meta is um the Cahid and Cambria that covered mm-hmm. uh last year we st- uh either last year or the year before um with Steve from Play Pods Right. Um that there's like a kind of fictional ongoing narrative mm-hmm. that's happening throughout the whole of it. Um I don't know whether I don't know if that's apparent through every King Is an mm-hmm. album, but from what I've gathered there's a kind of mythology that can that's formed. Yes, like that, so. it's called the Gizverse. Uh it, it's I don't mm. I'm not the the scholar of the Gizverse that I should be uh, to call them my favorite band, um, but there there is a Gizverse that you can research and find out all about how all of the albums are connected in some way. It's this kind of sci-fi element of how they're all connected. Um, a lot of like the album Murder of the Universe really has a big strong hand in telling that story. Um, Infest the Rat's Nest comes into that. There's an album that came out earlier this year called Made in Timeland that has a pretty big part in that. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, there's a giz verse attached. I think, uh, speaking specifically about infest the rats nets, there is a, I mean, this is a concept album of telling a story, um, that kind of starts off with an element of truth and reality that we find ourselves every day in. Uh, and then that's pretty much side a, and then side B actually goes into the more sci-fi environmental epic, um, that that's a little bit that we haven't got to yet. We, it's not outside of the realm of possibility, sadly. Um, but it is, it is definitely a, a story contained within itself. Yeah. Um, from what I gather, there's kind of like multiple, you know, characters. I think one of, 
um, I found an ar- I found an article about the kind of like a brief introduction mm-hmm. to like, the Gizverse, where apparently there's a well known character. Is it called Han? Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it, but he's a he's a robot. Uh, he's a robot that uh, he comes up on. I think it's Murder of the Universe is his first appearance. I could be somebody will prove me wrong, but I believe that's his first appearance. So uh, and apparently um, all the humans now become digital beings. Apparently, uh, from what I've gathered, and again starts starts to. Uh, Gets slightly more complex, mm-hmm. and without kind of getting too much into it, yeah, I think it's it's a lot, very kind of in depth. Yes. Um, but then from from here as well is that there's apparently there are like kind of uh, more contemporary stories, mm-hmm. contemporary stories, um, and songs, um, which are separate, like either like kind of the standalone or separate from these concepts. So, for example, this like article says that the, they tell stories of gamblers, cowboys, Australian rules, footballers, yeah. people butchers, balrogs, lightning gods, flesh eating beasts, sages, and space faring eco rebels. <laughs> um, and each of these tales, the band contends, takes place in a universe of its own, yet the band maintains all such universes are parallel. These stories are connected and coexist in a meaningful way. Furthermore, the band has already decided, or so they claim, how the story ends. They have planned what their final al- album, hopefully arriving many years from now, will be. So, so it's kind of almost like an MCU multiverse. Yes, that's exactly the greatest thing. comparison you can make for it. Yeah, it's it's definitely, and I mean, and it's one of those that like you know I think about uh what's the, the gorillas, um uh, not the gorillas but gorillas. They apparently have their own kind of multiverse kind of thing going on. That's a story that runs through all of their albums. Um, you know, I, I like the gorillas, but I don't. I don't really understand the story. I don't listen. I mean, and that's something I should be pretty forthright about. Is I'm not a lyrics guy. I, I really don't listen to lyrics most of the time. Most of the time, I view the singer and the voice that's being projected as just another instrument in the mix. Um, you know, if lyrics are outlandish enough that they distract me from the music, then that's typically when I say, oh, these are bad lyrics. Otherwise, to me, it's just the melody that's coming through through the artist singing or whatever. Um, so for me to notice mm. that there's a story happening within the Gizverse, you know, especially on the Rat's Nest album, that that's significant to me because it caught my eye or caught my ear, I guess, that there's something much bigger at play here, that this is something worth noting. You know, and I mean, a lot of it is just, it's so bleak and dystopian on the rat's nest album that it did catch my ear. And that's when I really went and started reading what is the story that's being shared on the rat's nest album. Yeah. And for the, and the story I think for the album itself is that um, it talks about kind of like an ecological disaster, Yes, which I, which I think then basically means that they go to Venus to try and survive. Is that? So I actually, Matt, I've got to be honest. I came prepared. I wrote a synopsis. I, uh, can I read it for you? I, I did my homework. Oh, please do. Okay. So please do. I'm going to, I'm going to try to be dramatic with this. I'm going to try to yesterday's concert this a little bit. So infest, infest the rat's okay. nest plot begins on earth in the not so distant future. Climate change has rendered the planet almost inhabitable. And so the rich population has fled to Mars to terraform it. Unable to afford the steep price of a ticket to Mars. Most of earth's poor population have, have been left on the planet. Things come to a head when a superbug bakes, Superbug breaks out and humanity is forced to its last hope, Venus. Their first spaceship, Venusian 1, explodes before it manages to land on the planet. But its, but its successor, Venusian 2, lands successfully on the planet's surface. Upon exiting Venusian 2, the humans find themselves on a literal hellscape and many kill themselves by self-immolation. They awake in a hell and are greeted by Satan, who recruits them into the army of the damned 
and he instructs them, instructs them to begin the invasion of the rat's nest, also known as Mars. So talk about bleak and just quite out there. <laughs> yeah, it's um, <laughs> quite, uh, quite dark, yes. but science, science fiction. Yeah. But, uh, and that's what, and like, but yeah, the but, Venetian story is really like when they start going to Venus is side two of the album, where side A is more about the superbug and, you know, environmental things like that, which, you know, I don't think you have to be into the story to say like, hey, our climate change is real. Like there's climate change stuff happening all around us. Like that in and of itself is pretty scary, like really and truly. I think not one, there's not one for subtlety. Um not one for subtlety either in the album. No. I mean, like, it opens up with there is now planet B, mm. which yeah, <laughs> is very kind of in your face. <laughs> well, and so like I, when I was listening to this album in preparation for our talk, I got to thinking about my tattoo artist. Uh, she's a big horror fan and I'm a big scaredy cat. Like I, I don't do horror movies at all. Uh, and when, oh, that's same, yeah, same. It's, I, I, I get scared just watching like stranger things. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, but she was telling me, I was like, what do you like about it? And she was like, I love how horror films, can tell stories that regular movies can't tell that they tell stories that are much darker and just bleaker in a lot of ways, or even like more metaphorically without, you know, just the way that like a, a drama could or something like that, that they tell these rich stories that are often overlooked because you're too focused on being scared, quite frankly. And that's what I think that's what I've come to love about this album is that like, it's a heavy metal album for a reason because so many people associate heavy metal with horror in terms of music that they're using heavy metal to tell this bleak story about where the earth is and where we're headed. And to me, that's just, I mean, that's brilliant. I mean, especially when you compare it against fishing for fishies where you have this, you know, they're also using sarcasm to tell this bleak story. And so, I, I mean, that just, to me, that's incredible. I love it. Like they're so tapped into that. It's great. Yeah. I think the, um, added kind of, I think shock value of using the thrash metal genre, which again, I'm assuming this is the first time they delve into that kind of heavy. So it, it, it is, and it isn't. So they have, there's a couple of songs like great chain of being that came out of gumboot soup, gumboot soup. Uh, there's road train on Nonagon infinity doom city, which is on flying micro microtonal banana. And then the murder of the universe album. Those are all kind of early dances with metal that the band kind of explored. So when, when Rat's Nest came out, everyone was like, yes, finally. Like, we knew they had it in them. They toyed with it. They kind of teased us that they could do it. So for them to come out with a full album of thrash metal, everyone was pretty excited about that. Just because, like, they teased them for so long that they could do it. And then there's a whole album, excellent album of it. And I'm assuming as well that I think because of, of who the band are, then I'm assuming that the, the, even the dedicated fan base... Right, we'll probably say if they don't like an album, mm. they'll just go. Well, I'm just gonna go to sleep. Yeah, go to <laughs> exactly. Tomorrow. Exactly. So, so I'm assuming that. So I'm assuming that, like the at least like the 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 fans will know that at least okay, they're not gonna like every album. Yeah. Um, well, and it, it's funny too so. because so many like Giz heads are fairly remiss to say they even have a bad album. Like Eyes Like the Sky is probably the only album that's kind of universally panned, and it's one of their early albums. It's one of their first attempts at a concept album. It and that's the Western folk kind of album. It works, but it doesn't work. It's one of those that, like, once you get into the band and start appreciating them, then you'll appreciate the album with a little bit more. But Infest the Rat's Nest is typically in top five for most Giz heads. Like, it's pretty uncommon for it not to be in a top five. And you know, and that I'm not speaking for all of them, but that seems to be the general consensus that it is a top five Giz album. 
Ah, okay, okay. Um, before uh, before we perhaps um, delve into the songs, um, um, so where would King Gizzard rank in kind of your favorite bands of all time? Right now, they are my number one, hands down. Um, they have they they have been slowly creeping into that spot without me realizing it, and it was probably earlier this year or later last year that I kind of was like, oh, they are my favorite band. I pay more attention to them than anyone else. I read more about them. I listen to them more. Um, I think the reason, and I'm going to make a pretty bold statement, I think they are the most interesting band, not just on the scene right now, but in musical history. Um, That's a pretty bold statement considering how many incredible legendary artists we have and have seen, and I'm not knocking them, but I just, the sheer production value that they put out every year uh, mixed with just their ability to do all the different genres so well. Uh, it, it's just fascinating to me. Like even before uh, I started really diving into their music and claiming them as my favorite band, I found them as the most interesting band just because of the level of engagement they have with their fans. I mean, they started, what was it in 2020? I believe they started a bootleg program where they put out albums like live albums, demo albums, things like that. And they say, here you go. Do whatever you want with it. If you want to press it onto vinyl, press it onto vinyl. If you want to make cassette tapes, put it on cassette tapes and just sell it. Just send us a few so that we can sell them in our store as well. And they did that for their fans. I mean, there's not many other bands outside of the jam band world that are doing anything similar to that. And, you know, I just, to me, they are the most fascinating band, especially when you start reading about the lore and the Gizverse and things like that. That's just, I, I, there's not a lot of other bands doing anything quite on that level. Yeah, I can't think of anything that's up my head as well. But again, yeah, it's just the, the amount of stuff they're churning out. It's, it seems to be a group of people who are just fascinated about yes. music, all kinds of music, mm-hmm. or just bringing it through and stuff. Yeah. But um, so let's move on to the uh, the songs themselves. So which songs perhaps do you want to start talking about first? I don't think you can start without starting with the the first track, Planet B. I think Planet B, it's just such a gripping tune with such a stark reality to it. I mean, like you said, it starts off with there is no Planet B. I mean, that to me, that's like, you know, I was a journalism major and, you know, that's your lead right there. That's the first thing that's going to really pop out and tell the news story for you. And it just sets this precedent for what the mm-hmm. album's going to be that, you know, I, I really, it's, I don't know. It's just such a great song. And, you know, to tell such a harrowing story in such a fun way. I mean, that's the thing, too, about like, you know, before I really started diving into the story behind the album, it's a fun album. Like, I mean, I work out to it. I I like when I've had a bad day, I listen to it. It gets my anger out. It's such a and it's like it's just fun, like metal, like they make metal fun on this album, whereas a lot of metal bands today are so hell bent, pun intended, on just being you know, evil and dark and over the top and the evil. And it's like, they're just making metal fun again. Like, it's just such a great way to start the album. And they do it with such a way that it brings in, you know, like their unique gizzard sound, like their psych rock sound that they're known for on like Nonagon Infinity and things like that. You pick up the traces of it through it and they intertwine so well. It's just, it can't start any better than that. Great start. Yeah, the it's the kind of like driving kind of drums immediately. I was immediately reminded me of Muzzy. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's just like that kind of um, kind of aggressive impact, like statements for the album. So like, this is what the album's going to sound like. It's going to be this trajectory. And 
it's funny you keep mentioning Motorhead because in that Amoeba video I was talking about earlier, the drummer Cavs, he hit one of his albums that he pulled out was a Motorhead album. And he was talking about how the drummer, and I may be wrong quoting here, but he was talking about how the drummer was doing the kick, the double kick drum and how that was one of the first major double kick drums to like get recorded or be like on a big album or something like that. And just what a, like an inspiration that was to him. And he was just, going on and on about how much he loved the double kick drum on that album. So, I mean, and I, I think that video came out in 2017. So, and they've said publicly that they work on albums for roughly two years at a time. So you have to assume that that Motorhead album significantly like inspired Planet B. I mean, you just have to make that comparison or that, you know, association. And again, I think it's because of the more kind of aggressive kind of, particularly as this album goes, album goes on and they start throwing in the more kind of like dystopian elements to it. They need to, they kind of need to make their point yeah. heard. So that's what I, th- I think that's a key point in why they went towards the kind of thrash metal genre is to make that kind of like, you know, the planet's dying. Mm. And with, and again, I, I just, I mean, it's a, it's a play on words and it's very unsubtle. It's as, it's as subtle as a house brick. Yeah. There, there is no planet B open up your eyes and see. And again, um, yeah, particularly uh, quite relevant today as well with the kind of climate emergency that's been announced and everything. It's kind of like their kind of intent. Okay, yeah, we're going to, we're going to make it, we're going to import, incorporate all these kind of science fiction stuff. Um, Atlantic concepts, but it's because of this very real thing that you can relate to that you need to take a needs to take a quite a interesting to basically save the planet. But we're also going to do it while headbanging. <laughs> <laughs> so um, again, I think some of the the lyrics on here as well, it's setting the stage for setting stage for the the actual uh, narrative that's going to happen. Um, only way through is colonization, acclimatization, population exodus. Uh, monetization, civilization, the planet has be- the operation has begun. There is no planet B, where again there's no plan B, but they have to kind of improvise, and that leads to the inevitable kind of quest to Venus. Um, yeah, so like I think even today, I'm pretty sure there was there have been like either uh, I I can't remember I can't remember so quite on this properly, but I do remember kind of reading something or hearing something about the fact that they have been looking into terraforming techniques. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think particularly with Mars and stuff, uh, for Mars. And again, that's like stuff that's like referenced here. Well, and it, and you know, you talking about that, I'm going to jump around a little bit, but like that, the song Superbug, like this came out in 2019 and we didn't know what was on the horizon for 2020 when this album came out. And then you have the song Superbug, which is talking about this virus that basically kills off the planet. And, you know, then we have COVID-19 come into the play and it's like, oh, hey, they, they were kind of right about that. And so, you know, looking at Planet B and even going into the next song, Mars for the Rich, like they're they're kind of nailing it, you know, especially since this was three years ago now. And like you were saying, they're looking at terraforming ways to do Mars. So, I mean, it's clearly like the dystopian reality is here, sadly. Isn't a, there isn't a song about the owner of a multi a multi billion kind of online shopping oh, uh, gosh. empire like going to space? Is that? <laughs> I mean, there isn't a song. Yeah, know? I mean, it's just like, or at least. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, that's that may be on their next album too. Who knows? But I mean, they they're nailing it. Like it's just Mars for the rich. I mean, and they're so accurate in that. Like, if we do have to leave Earth because the planet crisis becomes so real, it will be the poor left behind. And and I, I don't mean to get political or conservationist or whatever. We, dance with but like i just think the reality of side a 
is so strong and scary that again, it goes back to the horror aspects of like, you have to do this through metal. You have to do this through something heavier because if they did the fishing for fishies, you wouldn't grasp the severity of these lyrics. Like, and even like the cadence that they use with the lyrics and how they like the metal cadence of his voice when he tells these lyrics just intensifies what he's actually saying. Yeah, quite. Yeah, I think particularly with Superbug. Uh, let me just jump into that. The um, the main annotation on Genius is quite interesting. Uh, Superbug is about a supreme killer illness that wipes out humanity in the near future. The song heavily references the antibiotic resistance phenomenon, which occurs when bacteria mutate into st- stronger strains resistant to drugs, becoming more likely to multiply and cause harm. The superbug of the song builds a high resistance to prescription drugs and eventually leads to potential extinction of the human race, as there is no way to combat the disease. In an unsettling and unintentional way, Superbug became a harrowing prediction of the COVID-19 pandemic. When making a post cancelling their April May tours due to the virus, the band directly linked an upload to this song. So yeah, so they, they called it <laughs> on links to COVID. Yeah. And the, and that's the scary thing too about like when you see like when you hear Superbug coming, like sitting at home on lockdown from the pandemic and you start hearing these things about like Earth is no longer inhabitable. So everyone leaves or the rich leave and go to Mars and you're left here on a dying planet. It's kind of scary because you realize like, oh, they nailed that part. They're nailing some of this other stuff, or at least it seems to be. It gets scary. I mean, like this is a, this is a true metal album in the sense of the horror. Yeah, it's... um. And again, I think perhaps dipping into the, the horror genre, or definitely at least the science fiction mm-hmm. elements to this. But it, it again, it's kind of almost based on fact. Whereas facts, where listening to this album in twenty twenty two, you're gonna have a slightly different reaction to it from listening to it in twenty nineteen yep. because of the COVID nineteen yeah. pandemic making putting like kind of putting that into kind of into a more kind of a like actual thing that could happen and. um yeah, and like, as you said, like, you can hit, you see all these kind of mutations for the kind of uh, the coronavirus kind of mutations, like mutating around to try and survive and stuff. And it's yeah, it's that that kind of thing can happen and has seen seen to happen. Um, well, and it's funny, it's funny you talking about that made me think about the Run the Jewels released their fourth album in 20, summer twenty twenty, and they have a song on there called Walking in the Snow that pretty graphically describes uh, an African-American male being stopped by the police. And he, I I don't remember the full story, but he gets stomped out and he can't breathe. And he sits there and he makes a pretty dramatic, like, like struggling to breathe as he like says the lyrics. And everyone was like, how did you know when you wrote this song? And he's like, because that was when the giant civil unrest was happening in America, that several African-American men were killed. And one was had his neck, you know, stomped out by an officer who kept his knee on him things like that. And it's, you know, you see that he, he had no idea, but he was just also telling like, this is what I've seen in the past. So I'm sure it's going to happen again. And, you know, to be able to tap into that as an artist and tell those stories is so important because like you said, in retrospect, we give it a new lens, but that's, I mean, like, I think even Neil Young has said something about like, you know, the interpretation of the lyrics is whatever you make it to be. And that's the beauty of going back to music in retrospect is finding your own interpretation and the way that it, it meets mm-hmm. you in that spot. And yeah. so for things like that, you know, that's, that's huge for, for fans just to be able to connect in that way. And, I, you know, I pray that we're not looking at some Venusian flight to get off Earth because 
that would be kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would like to visit Mars, though. I'm pretty sure that would be... Oh, cool. it would be very yeah. cool. Yeah, I mean... Uh, if if I could be guaranteed... Like tourist reason. Yeah, but. if I could be guaranteed safety to go to Venus and all any of the planets, I'd sign me up. That'd be awesome. Like, that'd be a great tourist spot. <laughs> Spend the summer on Mars. Yeah. Which Where do you want to go to next in terms of the songs? Uh, so we've covered Planet B, a little bit of Mars for the Rich, Superbug. Uh, I want to do Perihelion just because it's my favorite track on the album. Um Okay. I, I didn't know what it meant for a long time. I didn't know it was, I thought they were just kind of making up words, but it's actually, uh, I'm going to butcher this, but it's something to do with the relation of the planets into each other, the distance. Uh, there's like another, it's like perihelion is like the closeness and then like aryhelion or something like that is like the, 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 a different version of it. Um, so I, di- I didn't know that actually had anything to do with, you know, and it just furthers the sci-fi uh, narrative to it. But the, the part to me that in, uh let's see i have it written the part to me is the bridge the bridge is my favorite part of it um they kind of take a break from the metal and they go into this real melodic sounding thing and the lyrics are giver of life and giver of speed ever we take even her gravity her glowing beauty is something to see bigger and brighter she cometh to me i mean that's just to me i don't know like i'm not a lyrics guy like i said but that just snapped me like and the, the bridge has always snapped me and then when I read the lyrics, it just it gave it so much more meaning just to have the beauty of that behind it in the midst of all of this. Because, I mean, even like in the context of the story, it's this scary thing happening, as we I've said a thousand times now. And then they're still in space admiring the beauty of the approaching planets. They're seeing all these things like we were just talking about, the tourist aspect of it. It has to be astounding. It has to be fascinating. Yeah, the... um. I think they kind of use that perihelion kind of term term i think it's the, their kind of one chance or that the kind of act two part mm-hmm. in the film where they say we have this one shot that we have to make to get to complete our goal which is to i think they're supposed to be swing, slingshotting mm-hmm. the the vessels around the sun to try and get a boost yeah. towards venus um and i think there's quite a i think the and I always think that the song kind of kind of has a kind of kind of musing about the sun and the sun in general mm-hmm. and what it does. Like for example, the giver of life and the giver of speed. The giver of speed is literally to do the plot points of them trying to get mm-hmm. enough speed to get to Venus in time. Um the giver of life is is more kind of again, literal factual thing yeah. of the sun is the reason we're yeah. here. Because of and photosynthesis and stuff. But also if the kind of maneuver works then it helps them continue, yeah. <laughs> continue to help people survive. Um, quite like the kind of, I quite like that kind of wordplay. Yeah, on that. Yeah, it's great. But quite clever done, really done. And, and and I mean, I think just it also has the most catchy chorus of all the songs on there. I mean, it, it's an earworm of a chorus. I mean, the the way they they quote Perry Perry Hillian, it just gets into your head, and you kind of keep quoting it over and over, and you know. That's that, that goes back to the thing I love about this band. It's just like it's a metal album, but they give you this earworm with this incredibly catchy, incredible, groovy, like lyrical cadence to the chorus. And, you know, that that's again, that's kind of what's missing in a lot of metal today is that it's just it's so determined to be dark and angry and all these things that they're missing on all the things that made, you know, songs like Master of Puppets like big because it, it is catchy. It is got a groove to it. I mean, that's why Pantera was as big as they were because it was metal music you could dance to because it was just such a groove. 
I think, yeah, I think it's accessibility to a slightly general audience, mm-hmm. I think. So if you've got something that's easy to kind of catch on or latch on to, yeah. um, I don't want to say pop, yeah. but but I've, I've always made the argument that pop is a suffix for mm. other genres. Yeah. And that's, and I've always thought that pop is accessibility, um, not mainstream, but more accessibility to like, not formulaic, but there's, there's a catchiness to mm-hmm. it. So that there's a cat there's an ability for perhaps more people who probably aren't in that kind of music to be able to kind of catch on to it so it's, so it's not kind of just straight noise you've got that kind of pop sensibility mm-hmm. to hook people in although the, the earworm is said to bring them in and stuff and yeah it's the accessibility yeah, aspect of it it's just that ability to open yeah. it up to a wider audience for something you know that's like i love the band the jam band goose and you know i was having a conversation with a friend the other day that you know, most jam bands are not very accessible just on a general basis because most people don't like 20 minute long songs, which is understandable. But <laughs> but the thing I love about Goose is like they have really great songs that are like they're more indie based themselves than jam based in the sense of songwriting. And those songs are way more accessible for the common listener to say like, hey, I really like this indie band that happens to jam. And so that, you know, I think that's that's a huge ability in songwriting to be able to to kind of have that hook, to have that thing that makes the song accessible, despite whatever backing genre they're playing to. I think that's a huge, mm-hmm. that's a huge talent. Yeah. Um, and I think this one kind of does it as well and manages to tell an interesting story and teach me mm-hmm. some physics stuff yeah. at the same time. <laughs> um, but apparently, yeah, so apparently the opposite of the perihelion is the is the aphelia. Ah, aphelia, that's it. Yeah, which is when it's the furthest point away from the that's sun. That's it. Okay, yeah. that's it. I knew it had something yeah. to do with planet relation, like proximity. Okay, so that's it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, the genius page for this has a very nice diagram. <laughs> points, <laughs> it points out what's the what's the perihelion and the aphelion. Again, yeah, it, again the, the rest of the kind of um, main thing is covers about was stuff that we've covered mm. already. So uh, where do you want to move on to next? So I want to do the last song. And this, this, if you're good with it, this will be the last one I do. But uh, I want to move on mm-hmm. to the last song, which is Hell. Um, this song is perhaps the heaviest on the album. Um, it's definitely the darkest, and it definitely leans into like the more fantasy, sci-fi aspect of it. Um, it's when they literally go to hell. Like the people who on, were on Vision, Venusian 2 pass away uh, from self-immolation. They come to hell. And Satan recruits him into the army of the damned, and he says, "We're we're raiding Mars. Uh, let's go." Uh, the, the most bleak thing about it is it's they're he, they're emphasizing the circle of life essentially. Like, even if we go to Mars, even if we colonize on Mars, we're gonna ruin Mars too. And so they're kind of saying like, Satan's within his rights to kill us all because we're just ruining everything we come into contact with. And you know that that stark reality of that final statement that they're pushing through that song. That's just such a powerful thing to me, like to really bring it back to planet B as well of like, Hey, this is our only shot. Like, let's not mess this up. Like let's, let's start getting our act together. But to have it in this kind of like wild fantasy, again, going back to the horror, like telling the story that you can't tell otherwise. I think it's just such a great metaphor or analogy, whatever the term is to describe the story that they're telling. Yeah, um, and just reading through, um, just reading through the uh, lyrics on Genius as well. Um, again, it's just like 
yeah, it's the very kind of bleakest way to end this story. Mm. Um, yeah, so they're just saying, oh, okay, yeah, this is what's going. This is what's going to happen now. Um, so, yeah, there's uh, no um, there's no Darth Vader redemption arc in this story. Like, there's no. I mean, it's a very grim finish, and you know, it would be nice to say like, hey. Earth gets it together and we turn into fishing for fishies. Like that's how the album ends. It's on that note, but it doesn't. And again, going back to the conversation we had earlier, it's again, the forewarning that they're giving. It's scary. It's scary to think about like, you know, what are we looking at if we really don't start viewing planet a as our only option? Yeah. And I think this, this, what I quite like about this song as well is that it gives context to why the album Mm -hmm. Um, is named the album and because like they're going what what rat's nest what rat's nest mm-hmm. and it turns out that well in this case it's mars that's part yeah it's going to be it's but it's because it's the humans that are the yeah it's the human race that are the rats because the rat's nest is us mm-hmm. and what we're doing so that so he's just basically arming a bunch of rat exterminators yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah yeah, this is a great song so for extermination companies to start picking up on for their commercials to to really push. Uh. Yes. <laughs> so, but yeah. Yeah, it even ends as well where um, 15 infantry paratrooping to the propylene new scene hells where they want to be infest the rat's nest. So it ends on the on the, the album title. Um, but the, again, genius annotating the fact they mentioned 15 Inventory Power Troop, which is a reference to the fact that this is their 15th album, which is ah, a quite nice meta. There we go. Nice little meta uh, nod that I think of. Well, it's a, it's a really, like, thinking about it from, like, a movie perspective, like, it's a really great visual to end the album on because you imagine, like, all these, you know, the Army of the Dead, you know, raiding Mars, and, you know, they're coming up and all these rich people in their nice mansions on Mars being raided by the Army of the Dead. You know, it's such a great like way to end a movie just to kind of see that. Like I think about what's um oh I'm blanking on the movie um the Spark 300. Uh, that's how that movie ends. Is where the they're coming to revenge or avenge all the the Spartan the 300 Spartans that were killed. You know that it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like that ending of the movie. Uh, that's that's such a great way to imagine that finale to it. Yeah, um, it's like a nice fun of visual and linking it back to. Um, linking it back to the album title. Um, yeah. there is uh anyone listening who listens to fellow uh we made this podcast, the X Cast. So the episode of the X, which follows the X Files. There's an episode called "This Is Not Happening" from season eight, and it ends with uh Gillian Anderson, Gillian Anderson screaming, "This is not happening! Uh. This is not happening!" And I made the joke that every X Files, every X Files episode should end with the name of the episode. Mm. Uh, name the episode for some kind of like wedged in like yeah like, for example x cops <laughs> so something stupid something silly like that yeah. um but yeah they should do <laughs> but yeah they should do that with uh do that with most albums as well just like somehow force the, the, the name <laughs> of the album into the final line of the song um but um the yeah uh, so in terms of the reception of the album, it's got generally positive stuff. So it's got a meta score of 77 and a user score of 5.7. Uh, all the user reviews on Metacritic are positive. A lot between between 10 and 8. There's a 7. Richie, Richie Passano um, in 2019 said, There is not much to say, just an amazing in-your-face album. Oh, in capital letters. <laughs> out of 10. <laughs> um, 
but <laughs> uh, Big Rig gave it 10. Um, not usually a fan of this kind of music, but believe me, this thing goes hard. <laughs> I'll give it 11 if I could. Yeah, so it's the kind of stuff like that kind of elements. Uh, in terms of the critic reviews, uh, the majority of them are positive. There's only one mixed. Uh, all music gave it 8 out of 10. King Gizzard aren't showcasing anything either musically or them- thematically, and that makes for the most timely political album yet. It's also one of their most music compelling and impressive too, and that's saying a lot. Um, the Enemy uh, is the one that gave it the mixed review. Mm. Uh, so it's got a Metacritic score of 60. Things do pick up with messy closing tracks, self immolate and hell, but these are proficient rather than remarkable moments. Ultimately, it's not enough to prevent Investor Rat's Nest from feeling like a case of look at what we can do rather than a record fully realised, which don't fully agree with that. Yeah. Because um, I think I, I, I can get their point, I get their point in that. And get their point in what they're trying to, th- what they're saying. So they're saying that what we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. saying like, "Oh, we can, we've released a thrash metal album. Yeah. This is what it's like." But I don't think it's full. I don't think it's not fully realised, um, considering about all the kind of like story nature, yeah. the, the nature of the story and the narrative in it. Um, and that goes back to the point I made earlier about like, if you are a King Gizzard fan, you will have significantly more appreciation for an album like this. It won't be, and I, I mean, I guess that's you know an argument for the critics sake as well that like most albums should be accessible without being a fan of the band. You should be able just to enter them, but uh, to be a fan of the band, you're going to have a significantly more appreciation for this album just outright anyway. Like there's just no way you can. Yeah. The, uh, and pitch four, pitch four review gave it 6.7, which is probably a, like a low high score for them. Yeah. But yeah, um, I think their closing statements, um, their closing statements for the review is, as the Gizzards two releases this year respectively prove, they're not afraid to push their sound to its most playful and punishing extremes, but it's always been more thrilling to hear them excavate the uncharted territory in between, which is Pitchfork for, which I think is Pitchfork for, they like their previous albums, I think. Yeah, um, just contrarian. I need a Pitchfork translator sometimes. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's still generally positive um, review that you're going to get from Pitchfork. But yeah, so... So in um, Australia, it got to number two mm. in the Australian albums. They got to number two, whereas in the US Independence and the Alternatives, it got to about three and five. Uh, independent albums in the UK got to seven. Uh, it got to 64 in the US Billboard 200, 51 in the Canadian albums, 35 in Scotland. Uh, it's, yeah, so it's, yeah, so it's, it performed, performed best in Australia. Which makes so, sense. Um, so... Um, I mean, is this? I mean, is is this one of the more successful albums of theirs, or have they still, have they got? That's a good question. I'm not too sure. I don't I don't keep up with that too terribly much. I I would think, I just know from, and this is anecdotal in my perspective, but this was the one that I saw the most buzz about in music communities, different blogs, article like websites and things like that, uh, music circles. This is the one that I saw the most chatter about. Um, you know, since then I've become a little more hyper aware of them. Um, and I'm looking for people talking about them, so I'm not going to have a too much of an unbiased opinion from that. But I mean, I, I think the thing, I think this kind of peaked some of their popularity in a sense that they had really built um, some fandom around like albums like I'm in Your Mind Fuzz, Nonagon Infinity, Polywogland, however you say it. Uh, those albums are typically considered their best, and I think a lot of fandom peaked. And then this one was just kind of like the one that rocked the boat so much that it generated so much buzz. Um, but even like hearing that it was what 64 or whatever in the top 200 of billboard 
for America. Like that that's bananas to me. I mean, it's a metal album. Like it's a metal album by an Australian psych rock band uh, who's largely underground and in a lot of ways, like that's just wild to me. Like that's, that's kind of weird and speaks to how good <laughs> the album is in my opinion. Lance, have you ever seen King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard live? I have had the good fortune to see them one time so far. Um, I got to see them at Bonnaroo earlier this year, which is officially an official bootleg album as of a couple of weeks ago. Um, so that was my first time to see them. I have tickets to see them twice, uh, in October, uh, both two nights at Red Rocks, uh, October 10th and 11th. Um, so, uh, hopefully when this comes out, I will be standing at a King Gizzard show, rocking out to, uh, one of their three hour marathon sets. Um, I'm hoping, I'm trying to figure out a way to see them in Atlanta or New Orleans on their tour as well, but not sure if that's in the cards or not, but it's definitely on my radar of something I'm hoping for. But yeah, I've seen them once. So And and that was a festival yes. lineup. So how long did they play for? They played for an hour 15, I believe is what it tallied out to be, which I think their shows are typically around 90 minutes long. Um, so I didn't get too much cut out. And I, I know it, when the original schedule was released, they were only slotted for an hour. And then like a week later, it was announced that they were getting 75 minutes instead of just 60. Um, which gave them time to play The Dripping Tap, which is their most recent single, uh, well, previously from their album Omnium Gatherum, which is a like 20 minute epic. Uh, and it's just like, it's got like all the, it's comprised of all these different parts and all these different, it's just for a 20 minute song, it is one of the most engaging songs you'll hear. Uh, I've listened, the day it came out, I listened to it about six times in succession because I was fascinated with just the different parts and how they connected so well. Um, and it's a really high energy song. So when they played it live, like this 30 foot circle pit opened up and people were just going crazy and there was body parts flying everywhere. And I, it was just a really unforgettable experience during that song. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm quite curious to see how, how on earth <laughs> they would ever be able to can, to do a set list. Oh yeah. That would appease the fans. Yeah. And cover. And uh, yeah, I, I, I do not envy that. No, and that's I mean, and they do they do a lot of they typically do several songs from Infest the Rats Nest every night. That's they're pretty big crowd pleasers. Um and I, I think some of most of their earlier albums, probably like their first five to eight, they don't really touch on too terribly much. Um but you know, they they definitely have like they they're really great in that they play different sets every night. They rotate the songs pretty often. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't know how they pick and choose which ones come and go, but I mean, they definitely have a lot of crowd pleasers. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be like, if some people kind of like a certain sound of theirs mm-hmm. and then, and like, and then the guys are showing, they just end up playing a lot of the other ones. It's, yeah, that's it. I, I, it'd be an inter- interesting yeah. experience. Um, I do not envy them trying to pick a certain set list. Well, and they, it was either. Late last, I think it was late last year that they did. They did five nights at one. I think it was one venue, and each night was a different genre. Like they had a metal night, a garage band night, a jam night, all these, and I forget the other two, or acoustic night and um, something else, uh, microtonal. And so that I mean that was really cool to like they acknowledge like we have these genres that we cater to so much, and we're going to play for one night only. We're going to play only those songs, and the next night we're going to jump into another mask that we can wear really well so they acknowledge it at least and you know i'd like to see them do that a little more often yeah i can kind of see them to do that i think i remember having a conversation with uh leah about 
Taylor Swift. Mm. Um, Taylor Swift. Um, and like, and I think going back to I think the Frank Turner episode, mm-hmm. Frank Turner, where they he's been doing kind of like a mini festival where he does different things over different things over the course of four nights, mm-hmm. uh, and kind of makes a mini festival out of it. Um, I can kind of see that King is doing something very similar. Yeah. Where like goes, okay, we're only going to be playing songs from these albums because they sound like them. Second night, we're going to be playing these albums, the thrash metal yeah. night, but we're going to have a lot of thrash, thrash metal bands supporting throughout the day. And then on, we're going to be doing the hip hop yeah. albums. Um, and then we're going to have hip hop artists during the day and stuff. And I can kind of see that happening. Yeah, that would probably be an interesting kind of mix, particularly if you want to kind of incorporate all sorts of different genres and different act, like you yeah. know, local acts or traveling acts in a kind of like a weird multi genre uh, festival. I think you've got a million dollar yeah, idea right there. Too. Yeah, I mean if 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 the band are listening to this, um <laughs> have your people talk to my people. Uh, my people is called Matt and also it sounds very, very similar to me. Um so I'll put you in touch with him. Um, <laughs> so uh we have talked about other albums in this in their discography, but if people want, if people like the sound of Infest the Rat's mm-hmm. Nest, where would you recommend they go to next? Uh, if they like Infest the Rat's Nest, um, Murder of the Universe, it's another high concept album, uh, really big storytelling, side A, side B, again. Um, it, it's a little, it's probably their heaviest overall album outside of Rat's Nest. Uh, it's not near as heavy at all. Um, their, at the time, most recent album, Omnium Gatherum, uh, has some of their what I think is their heaviest songs um, in Gaia and Predator X. Gaia is hands down their heaviest song to date. Um, that and that to me, uh, Omnium Gatherum is, in my opinion, the most accessible King Gizzard album because it explores so many different albums or uh, genres on it. Whereas most of the albums they tend to stick with one kind of concept, one genre. This one blends them all. It goes into different things. There's hip hop, there's psych rock, there's metal. There's lots of different stuff on there. So it's a really, it's a good palette for somebody who's new to the band to kind of get a taste of everything at once. Um, but it's also got some of the heavier songs on it. So if you like Rat's Nest, you'll probably like that one. as well. And here's the million dollar question. The song for the Hall of Fame playlist on Spotify. For anyone who's not listened to this before, I'm going to ask Lance um, to pick one song from this album to be immortalized forever on the Spotify Hall of Fame playlist. I can't veto it, so whatever Lance says goes. So Lance, what song are you going to pick to be added? I'm going to go with, even though it's not my favorite on the album, I'm going to go with Mars for the Rich because I think it best personifies the album as well as the sound of King Gizzard uh, that they are able to bring as well as the thrash element to it. I think it's the best song that blends the two of them on the album. So I'm going with Mars for the Rich. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So Mars for the Rich joins a section of songs which um, on the day of recording, I can't do what I usually do because the previous episode hasn't been recorded yet. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But um, before then, we have but before then we have a Sturgill Simpson uh, song and then a Sigurios song and Joe's and the Pussycats. So, um, yeah, so still venturing to a very interesting kind of mix of blend of songs <laughs> throughout this. But, yeah, and we've come to the end of our conversation, Lance. And um, I say thank you for bringing, for bringing uh, King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard uh, to me. I can finally put a sound to their name or <laughs> part of their sound yeah. to their name now. So whenever I see the bloody gig posters, because they seem to play Birmingham 
mm-hmm. every so often. So people want to find you and listen to your podcast. Where can they find you? Uh, we're available everywhere, or you can go to yesterdaysconcert.com. Um, so yeah, we're, we're pretty much everywhere. Uh, if you, I, I, I'm not your traditional, uh, music podcast. I, I've been to more than 800 concerts, uh, since 2006. And so my, my podcast is essentially my stories of going to these shows, but I try not to just tell them or recount them. I try to bring them to life kind of like Disgraceland. If anybody's familiar with that podcast, I try to turn them into these audio stories with lots of bells and whistles and sound effects and first person narratives and things like that. Um, so I try to retell the stories if they're funny or if they just had some large significant meaning to me. Um, and in between seasons, because these episodes take roughly 40 hours each to produce, um, I do interviews with different people. Like I did a really cool interview with a, uh, an audience taper, somebody who bootlegs, for lack of better words, concerts, um, kind of got his perspective on why they do it and how it's cool and everyone else should be doing it. Uh, but just things like that. Love talking about music and things related to music and, you know, just Mm-hmm. A solid music podcast, in my opinion. Okay, so slow, slow deviation. So I was going to quickly ask about this. Um, so how many, so how many live gigs did you say you've been? To, can you roughly be? Uh, I can remember, and I have counted like eight hundred and fifteen. I think is where I'm sitting at today. Uh, I know there's more. It's probably closer to eight fifty or eight seventy five because I know there's probably ones that I've completely forgotten about and things like that. Um, and some before I even considered going to concerts, you know, if my parents took me or something. Uh, but yeah, I'm sitting roughly at 815 since 2006. Oh, nice, nice. I think I'm, I'm still I'm on to about 400. And, I, I cracked 400 this year. Good for you. But um, I, but yeah, but I, I never really started going into, to gigs until I was like early 20s. Mm-hmm. So uh, I missed out all the teenage, yeah, <laughs> all the teenage stuff. But um, no, I think um, yeah, I think yeah, I think some people, I got some, I know some people who are like. I'm probably similar to yourselves who seem to like crack a hundred or so in a year. And I'm like, man, I'd love to do that. Yeah. But- <laughs> it's fun. It's, it's fun. It's yeah. time consuming. It's, yeah. it's a little expensive sometimes, but yeah, I mean, if you can, if you can <laughs> afford it in terms of time and resources and all means go see the artists you love, go support them. Um, go see local bands, you know, go, go hang out when a, t- a touring band comes to town. Um, you know, you'll enjoy it and they'll appreciate it. So definitely do it. Yeah, I mean, who's who do you think who's your most seen artist? Uh, it's a band called. Um, no, I'm not. Ta- I'm not. Ta- I'm, Go ahead. I'm not talking about headline sets. I mean, like sets in general. So, like, if you- uh, so it's a band called Moon Taxi. Uh, they my first time to see them was in July 2008. Um, they're from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, they're they started off a pretty much a jam band, uh, and they've kind of progressed more into like a indie pop kind of band. Um, they were actually. If I'm thinking correctly, they were the last band that I've seen, which was like a week ago. Um, and that was my 31st, 32nd time to see them. Um, so for a while, I was on a first name base. They were really un- like the first time I saw them, there was like 15 people there. Uh, it was in a pizzeria in the middle of nowhere, Mississippi. Um, but yeah, I, I've seen them go from that little tiny corner of the room to, I mean, last weekend, there was probably 3000 people out there, give or take. Um, so I've really got to see them grow and blow up and become a great big band and, uh, just really proud of them. Really great. I got grateful. I got to see them in those early days and still enjoy getting to see them when I can. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. I quite like when you, I quite like when that happens where like you can see a band move up mm-hmm. and like, um, you just standing there going, I remember when I could stand in front of them and watch yeah. them. Now, I mean- <laughs> well, the, the, the first time I really understood yeah. how big they were starting to hit it, I was in San Francisco for a conference and I was standing in the hotel lobby waiting for my, my car to get into my room. 
and I heard him playing over the speakers and I was like, what the heck? Like I'm all the way, like I'm thousands of miles from home and I get to hear like this band that I love and used to see in like small little bars in town and stuff like that. Like that was the moment for me. And that was probably like 2012, 13. Uh, like that was a really big moment for me to like, to be so far and to hear them like that. That was really cool. Yeah. Um, and in terms of yesterday's podcast, I've not listened to all of them yet. I've listened to a couple so far. Well, thank you. Um, they're on my, they're on me kind of, my podcast queue at the moment. And I, I do, I, I do quite like kind of like the storytelling aspect to it. Thank you. Um, kind of adds a narrative to an experience and stuff. And, um, I, and quite a lot of people, quite a lot of people do kind of link or they don't realize they had, they have narratives for every mm. time they go to a, to a gig or any live music event. There's always kind yeah. of like either backstory or there's always like the journey there or just something that happens or it's just the journey and stuff. And I, I quite like the fact that you kind of, able to kind of present that in a kind of entertaining and informative way as well. well thank you. I appreciate that. Um, that's really, and I think that's, no, that's what I really want people to identify with in my show is that like, it's not about just the concert. Like it's about the moments leading up to the concert. It's about the first time you heard mm -hmm. the album live. It's about, you know, traveling mm -hmm. to the show and the memories you make with your friends and people that you're with and things like that. Like the concert is just like kind of the, the pinnacle of your existence with the music and the band and the art that you treasure so much. And that's what I want people to connect with, even if it's not the artist or the same experience. I want people to be able to say, like, I understand what he's getting at. And I've had that experience and just to invoke a little bit of nostalgia in people as well. So, yeah, it's this kind of very similar methodology to kind of what I like to do here, mm -hmm. where like I try and get into the personal kind of history and relationship with the music and the band themselves to, in relation to the to the, the guest at the time yeah. so and there's always kind of like a story or a meaning to them and stuff and um yeah that's probably one of the reasons i quite like really quite like yesterday's concert it's got a very similar kind of like uh mission statement mm. in terms of what you want to get in terms of a relationship with music because it's and it, there's a lot of crossover with kind of my mission statement yeah. with pick a disc and um yeah so anyone who's listening who kind of a fan of this I, i'm i'll be yeah i'll be guaranteed you'll you'll find a couple of episodes of yesterday's concert you'll click with so yeah, definitely try that. So yeah, that's it. We've reached the end of our conversation, Lance, and it's been great to, as I said earlier, it's great to finally get to to listen to the visit, <laughs> and it's been an amazing experience. So well, dude, I'm I'm so grateful you had me on. Like, it got I got to give a shout out. Like, you do a great job with what you do, and like you were saying, mm -hmm. like you you're really excellent in invoking that for people, and I hope other people are able to connect with that. Like, uh, I'm really grateful I got to talk about this band and art album that i really love and treasure um and so I, i'm just really grateful to be here man thank you so much you've been listening to pick a disc and i've been your host matthew labor our theme music is pumped by kevin mcleod of incompetech.com pick a disc is hosted by the we made this podcast network and you can find them on www.spreaker.com slash user slash we made this you can find the pick a disc show site on www.spreaker.com slash show slash pick a disc. You can find us on all the usual social media type places like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter under pick a disc. You can also email us on pick a disc at gmail.com. Until next time, happy listening to all those discs that you are picking. Goodbye. Hello everyone, this is Tony Black, co-host and producer of You Have Been Watching, a podcast all about British sitcoms. Myself and co-host Robert Turnbull take you on a range of Britcom subjects and shows in our discussions, including greats such as Faulty Towers. Basil, in, in the same way as, as 
David Brent and uh, Alan Partridge and Victor Meldrew. Basil works best when he is actually dealing with assholes. Lesser known curios such as 15 Stories High. There are all these kind of like gag setups being put in place uh, in that episode. And then the, the sort of the end like minute or so is basically the payoff to all of these gags. And it's very, very sitcom-y. And even top tens, such as sitcom theme tunes. If we have to put composers of theme tunes in context for British sitcoms, I think Ronnie Hazelhurst, he's, he's possibly the John Williams of... I was just going to say, he is the, he is the John Williams yeah, of, I think, of I think uh, he is. British sitcom. We're available on all podcast platforms and on social media at YHB Watching Pod on Twitter and Facebook. So please subscribe, get in touch... And come and have a laugh with us.